0: Well, it is good to be with you again here at Christ Church. My name is Jared Alcantara, and I teach over at Trinity International University at the Divinity School. And it's just a pleasure, a real joy and privilege whenever I have an opportunity to join you. So thank you for the kind invitation, and thank you to all the, the members of the pastoral staff and all of the staff for this kind welcome. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open to 2 Kings chapter 4. That's where we're going to be looking. 2 Kings 4, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 7. So that's where we'll be. 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. Let me just start with a question. Uh, Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't know what to do? Uh, Maybe you uh, had a major decision to make, something that would impact your future, and You had a couple different choices and you didn't know which choice to take. Uh, Maybe you were in a sort of crisis, whether that was a financial crisis or a a health crisis, and all you were trying to do is get through to the next day and you just didn't know how you were going to make it through. Uh, Maybe you did something ridiculous. Uh, You got yourself into a mess, and one thing you knew was that you didn't know how to, you got in this mess and you didn't know how to get out of it and you didn't know what to do. I remember when I was 18 years old, I was between high school and college, Uh, I grew up in New Jersey, I asked my parents if I could borrow their uh, white Ford Escort to go to upstate New York to see a friend of mine who I hadn't seen in a long time. Reluctantly, they said that they would, and before I left, my dad showed me how to do different things with the car and how to repair something if there was a problem, and sure enough, on the way back from seeing my friend, the car started to rattle on the New York Thruway, and I had to pull over. And I didn't know what was wrong, so I opened up the hood and I looked and tried to see what the matter was, but couldn't really figure it out. And this was before cell phones. Anyone remember life before cell phones? Yeah, me too. Uh, So I couldn't call anybody, and I waited for a police officer, hopefully, to come by there and see that I needed help, and nobody came. And then I tried to do, probably not very safe, one of these things where I would hail someone down. And let's just say that people on the New York Thruway weren't eager to help on that particular day. Uh, so eventually I needed to find a way to make a phone call. So I noticed that there was an elementary school across the Thruway. So I crossed four lanes over a median, four more lanes, down an embankment, over a chain-link fence, across to a field and found payphones. Anyone remember what payphones are? Yes. So when I called the payphone, I called the local police department and they asked me what mile post I was at. I had no idea. I said, I know I'm between this exit and that exit. And they said, I'm sorry, sir, you're going to need to tell us your milepost number. And then they hung up on me. So I went back across the field, over the chain link fence, found my milepost, went back the other direction. Uh, called them again, told them my mile post. As the sun was setting on a Sunday evening, I found myself waiting for a tow truck, not knowing what to do. I came to find out that the reason I was having car trouble was that I had never actually put gas in the car the entire time. So, lesson learned the hard way. Uh, I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you don't know what to do. Uh, Maybe you've made a mistake. Uh, Maybe it's more serious than that. Maybe you have a situation in your family, a a wayward son or daughter, or uh, a strained relationship, and one thing you do know is that you don't know what to do about it. As we look at our passage for uh, this weekend, 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7, we'll see that there's a woman in this story who's in this predicament. She doesn't know what to do. She's caught in a crisis. She's found herself trapped in the net of life's contradictions. So if you have your Bibles open, we're in 2 Kings 4, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 7. 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. This is God's word. Now this story ends well, uh, but it doesn't start well. This woman does not know what to do. She is a widow in a patriarchal society, which means that she lives in a society in which the rights of men are privileged and the rights of women are ignored. We learn from verse 1 that she comes from a godly family. Uh, Her husband was a member of the company of the prophets. He revered the Lord. He loved the Lord. But now he's gone, and the money is gone too. Now, we don't know if it was uh, his issue or her issue or their issue, but what we do know is that his creditors are coming in order to take away her sons as slaves. Now, almost every mother will do everything she can to protect her children. Almost every mother will do everything in her power to keep her family together. So this woman, in the midst of a crisis, does not know what to do. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? Well, I think the first thing that you do is you ask. You ask. Now, I don't mean to sound too simplistic, but I think so often we forget the simpler things that we're called to do. Uh, this woman asks, if you notice in verse 1, that verb, she cried out, it literally means to make an appeal for help. It occurs eight times in the book of 2 Kings, and most of the times that it occurs, it means to make an appeal for help. So she's making an appeal for help to the prophet Elisha. She does not know what to do, and... She feels compelled to ask for help. Now, this isn't the first person in Scripture who cries out for help, seeking divine intervention. This isn't the last person in Scripture either. I I think of the prophet Isaiah in the book of Isaiah, seeing all of the havoc and all of the wreckage in the nation of Israel. And you know what Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, speaking to the Lord? Isaiah says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that you might make your name known among your enemies. Isaiah is crying out, seeking help, asking God to intervene. I think of uh, the story of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was a man born blind, and uh, when Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is coming to town in Mark's gospel, uh, Bartimaeus puts himself in a position where Jesus can overhear him, and Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. See, crying out for divine intervention, seeking God's aid and God's help is something all of us are called to do. Let me just ask you some questions. The first question is a simple one. Are you too proud to ask for help? Blaise Pascal, a French philosopher, puts it this way. He says, Our principal malady is our pride, which separates us from God. Are you too proud to ask God for help? Are you too proud to ask others for help? When life tumbles in, will you be willing to cry out to God? The second question is very similar. Uh, uh, To where do you go or to whom do you go when life tumbles in on you? See, we go to all different kinds of people and places and things. We We run to advice columns, we run to our phones, we run to distractions, we run to things that will numb us from our pain, but do we run to God? So often God is our last resort when what God really wants is to be our first resort. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? You ask, you cry out, but there's a second thing first thing is you ask, and the second thing is you you listen. I want you to notice what happens next in verse 2. Elisha replies to her and says, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she explains, your servant has nothing there at all except a small jar of olive oil. It would have been the equivalent of one serving. Uh, She would never be able to pay her debts by selling the olive oil. But this is the one thing that she has left. I want you to notice what Elisha asks her to do with it. This is verse 3. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. Do you see what he's inviting her to do? He's asking her to take the one thing that she has left and to pour it out. So now she's faced with the decision... She must decide whether she will listen to divine instruction or whether she will attend more closely to the gravity of her own circumstances. And really, her decision to make is our decision to make. We must decide that even when divine instruction does not make sense, we must decide whether or not we will listen to it. See, there are so many voices competing for my attention and your attention, competing not only for our attention but our affection. And so you and I must ask ourselves, even when it doesn't make sense, will we listen to God? Even when the way forward isn't clear, will we heed God's call? I had a professor in college by the name of Scott Hafman who used to say, Circumstances consistently call into question the promises of God. Isn't that right? Circumstances consistently call into question whether God will do what he says he'll do whether God will fulfill the promises that he says he will fulfill. And the choice is yours and mine to make whether or not we will heed our circumstances or heed divine instruction, even when divine instruction does not make sense. Now, there's a couple things that we need to remember about listening. Uh, The first is, uh, so often we forget that God is still speaking. (laughs) The issue isn't whether God is speaking, but whether we're listening. See, God has already spoken to us through his Son, Jesus Christ. God has already spoken to us through the testimony of Holy Scripture, which testifies to his Son, Jesus, and to his redemptive plan for the whole world. God has already spoken and is speaking through the testimony of the church, men and women who pour into us, who guide us and love us and teach us and pastor us and instruct us and care for us and comfort us. God speaks in surprising and unexpected ways, ways that we can't even conceive. See, the question isn't whether God is still speaking. The question is whether we're listening. Also, something else to remember about listening is that there's a difference between listening and hearing. Uh, any of you who have been married or are married know that there's a difference between listening and hearing. Are you listening intently or are you just hearing what's happening. Uh, I'll never forget, a couple years ago in uh, my marriage to Jen, I I was watching a Philadelphia Eagles football game. I grew up not too far from Philadelphia, and I uh, I just root for all Philadelphia teams. So like Bears fans, I'm just drawn to pain and suffering, basically. Uh, But I was watching a game, and Jen was in the kitchen. She was cutting some fruit, And uh, nothing serious, but she accidentally cut herself. And she said, ouch, I I cut myself. I think I'm bleeding. And I was so immersed in the game, you know what I said? I said, oh, that's nice. (laughs) (laughs) Not the kind of thing you want to say in a situation like that. See, are you listening or are you just hearing? And that leads to another observation about listening, which is there's a connection between listening and obeying. So often in Scripture, when the Lord is calling his people to listen, he's really calling them to obey. In fact, it's often translated that way. The Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, when the Lord says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. The Lord is in effect saying, Obey Israel. There is just one God. So there's a connection between listening and obeying. We, we know this if we're parents. We know that when we say to our children, You're not listening to me. We're basically saying, You're not obeying me. Now, what does this have to do with this woman in 2 Kings chapter 4? I think it has everything to do with her. Because she must decide whether she will hear and ignore or listen and obey. So you see, her decision to make is our decision to make. Will we hear and ignore? Or will we listen and obey? But there's one final thing. So you ask. You listen. You listen. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You trust. You trust. See, this woman not only has to make a decision as to whether or not she'll listen to and heed divine instruction, she must also make a decision as to whether she's willing to pour out the only thing that she has left, whether or not she's willing to trust that somehow, in some way, God we'll make a way out of no way. She has to decide whether or not she's willing to pour out the one thing that she has left in obedience to God, even if it doesn't make sense to her. This is from a book by Jill Briscoe. She writes, Sometimes it takes a crisis in our lives to test our faith, to show us the limits of our own strength and the sufficiency of our own strength and the sufficiency of God's provision. But we don't learn that lesson if we just sit around and wait for God to take care of us. We have to step out and pour out, trusting that the Holy Spirit will fill us and give us what we need to continue. You see, it's easy to trust God when the weather is fair and the sun is shining, but When life is tumbling in and the storm clouds are gathering and the rain is falling, uh, will we trust him then? When all we have left in our hand, it feels like, is a little pot of oil, will we trust him then? Some of you remember Mother Teresa. It's hard to believe that she died almost 20 years ago now. Someone asked Mother Teresa once, she worked among the poor in Calcutta in India Among the poorest of the poor, the untouchable class, the Dalit class, someone asked her once, why do you think it is that the poorest of the poor are so drawn to Jesus? And you know what she said? She said, when Jesus is all you've got, you discover that Jesus is all you need. See, when all you have left is a pot of oil and Jesus... (laughs) Are you willing to trust him then? See, her decision to make is our decision to make. Will we trust him when everything is going well with us? And will we trust him when circumstances are calling into question the promises of God? There's something about this story that I just love so much. There are many things about it that I love. But one of the things that I love most about it is what it reveals to us about God. See, Elisha and this woman are central characters in the drama, so I don't want to diminish that, but there's a difference between the central characters in the drama and the one who wrote the drama. Uh, There's a difference between a first-chair violin and second-chair violin and the one who conducts the symphony and the one who wrote the symphony. See, this woman learns what so many of us can learn. She learns that God is able to do extraordinary things with ordinary people who are willing to trust him with what they have. I want you to notice what happens next. Verse 5. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. See, God honors that willingness to listen, to ask, to trust. And God is able to do extraordinary things with ordinary people, even if all that they have in their hand is a little pot of oil. See, God's handprints and fingerprints are all over this text. I want you to notice in verse 2, she says that I have a small jar of olive oil. That's the equivalent of one serving. In verse 3, it's really hard to pick up in the English, but that phrase empty jars in verse 3 is actually a different word in Hebrew than the word she uses. You know what Elisha is saying to her? He's saying, I want you to go out and I want you to get the equivalent of storage containers. See, Elisha notes what this woman will soon know. That God is able to do extraordinary things, even in the lives of people with just a little pot of oil. You notice what he says next. He says, don't ask for just a few. I love that phrase. Don't ask for just a few. God will do something extraordinary. God not only fills the jars, but God gives her exactly what she needs, not only to pay her debts, but to live on what is left. There are so many things that we discover as we look through the pages of Scripture about God's willingness to accomplish supernatural and extraordinary things just through natural, ordinary people. I think of Moses. You know, when Moses got back from the desert of Midian, you know what he had? All he had was his family and a staff. <laughs> and you know what God did with that ordinary staff? God turned that ordinary staff into serpents before Pharaoh's palace. God used that ordinary staff to turn the Nile River into blood. God used that ordinary staff to divide the Red Sea. See, God can use ordinary things in the hands of ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. I think about David, who's just a teenager, and hears that there's a a bully by the name of Goliath taunting the Israelites. But there's a problem. See, Goliath is a 42 long and David's a 36 short. (laughs) All David has in his hand is a slingshot and some stones. But God's able to do extraordinary things through ordinary people who are willing to trust him with what they have. I think about a little boy by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, He came to hear about a rabbi who not only taught amazing things, but was able to perform miracles and called himself the Son of God. And that particular morning, he brought with him a sack lunch, just five loaves and two fish. But God can multiply ordinary resources in order to accomplish extraordinary things. God can use our limited resources, our limited things, in order to do something extraordinary with them. See, these people weren't extraordinary people. In fact, they were ordinary people who believed in an extraordinary God. For God can do extraordinary things through ordinary people who are willing to just trust him with what they have. Do you trust him? Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to ask? I remember coming across a story about a man by the name of Danny Simpson. This was back in 1990. In Ottawa, Canada, a 26-year-old man by the name of Danny Simpson robbed a bank at gunpoint, and he made away with about $6,000. He was apprehended shortly thereafter. All the clues led back to him. Uh, He was not only arrested but sentenced to prison for six years. And when they impounded the pistol that he used, they discovered that it wasn't an ordinary pistol. It was an antique. And so they sent it away for further investigation. They wanted an expert expert to discern just exactly where this pistol came from. And when they heard back from the expert, they learned that uh, the pistol that Simpson had used was only one of 100 pistols made in the year 1918 by the Ross Rifle Company in Quebec City during World War One. Uh, turns out the pistol was worth upwards of $100,000. <laughs> you see... If he had only known what he held in his hand, (laughs) he wouldn't have gotten into this mess. What's in your hand? Uh, Maybe God has placed into your hands material blessing and abundant resources. And maybe what it looks like to to, to pour it out is to say, God, I'm going to trust you that I'm not an owner. I'm a steward of all that you've given to me. Maybe God has given you spiritual gifts that you have been hiding for too long, and what God is calling you to do is to use your gifts in a way that serves the people of God and serves the world for which Christ died. Maybe, maybe all that you have in your hand, at least it feels this way, is a little pot of oil, but you see... If God is who he says he is, which I believe that he is, and God can do what he says he'll do, which I believe he can do, then maybe a little pot of oil is more than enough in the hands of God. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, thank you that when faced with a choice, you chose to pour yourself out through your Son, Jesus Christ. You chose to empty yourself so that we could be filled. You chose to show us the full extent of your love. Thank you, God, for loving us that much. And thank you for the testimony of this woman who was willing to step out and pour out. Thank you for the reminder that you do extraordinary things through ordinary people who are simply willing to trust you with what they have. Help us to be a people who ask, who listen, who trust. Help it be the case that all that we have and all that we are And all that we hope to be, we give back to you. For you alone are worthy not only of our praise, but of our very lives. We thank you. We praise you. And we ask all these things in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.